Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen and we are on episode number 299. Today's topic is Planet of the Humans. I've talked about this on two previous episodes. If you want those episodes, then just email me at info at theclimatereport.net. But if you never hear those episodes one and two, that's okay, because this material will stand alone and speak for itself. So what is Planet of the Humans and why are we talking about it? Planet of the Humans is an environmental documentary released originally in 2019 and then Michael Moore released it on his channel in 2020 just in time for the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. The movie is critical of renewable energy and it's been critical of it is critical of big name environmentalists especially the ones that have a cozy relationship with Wall Street. And as such, the movie has received strident and I think unfair criticism from the critics who have even attempted to censor the movie. It's like not enough for them to criticize it, they tried to censor it. I have said on previous episodes that three of the people that I like and respect, I mean I, I, I like them, I have gained from them, I have respected them in the past, but have a little, fallen from grace a little bit. One is Al Gore. One is Bill McKibben and one is Naomi Klein. So let's talk a little bit about what Naomi Klein and Bill McKibben are saying about Planet of the Humans and then we'll go from there. So in early May, a few days after the release of the movie, Naomi Klein tweeted this. She says, if you have seen Planet of the Humans, you, if, you, yeah, if you have seen Planet of the Humans, you owe it to yourself to read this devastating response from Bill McKibben one of the planet's most wonderful humans. It's interesting that Naomi Klein should refer to Bill McKibben as one of the planet's most wonderful humans. In chapter 7 of This Changes Everything, she entitled the chapter No Messiahs, Green Billionaires Won't Save Us. And Bill McKibben is not a billionaire, but he is supported by billionaires and he takes money from billionaires. But it seems like, you know, one of the planet's most wonderful humans, it's like, okay, Naomi, can we talk about how there is no one person that should be like worshiped? We need to be ready at any point in time to say, you know, Here's a person that I liked and respected and trusted in the past, but I don't like what they're doing or saying now. So Naomi Klein retweets this uh, tweet from Bill McKibben. He says, I truly hope that Michael Moore does not succeed at dividing the climate movement. Too many have fought too long to build it. So he's saying, you know, Oh no, Michael Moore is going to divide the climate movement, which is really a weak argument. And you'll find that those in a position of authority will try to make people fall in line by preaching unity. But let's read a little bit of this article by Bill McKibben. Uh, it's, in, it's in Rolling Stone on May 1st of 2020. And he says, a bomb in the center of the climate m movement. Michael Moore damages our most important goal. It hurts to be personally attacked in a movie. It hurts more to see a movement divided. So Bill McKibben writes, if you're looking for a little distraction from the news of the pandemic, something a little gossipy, but with a point at the end, 
about how change happens in the world, this essay may soak up a few minutes. In other words, I'm going to tell you how change happens. He says, I'll, write the, I'll tell the story chronolo- chronologically. Starting a couple of weeks ago, on the eve of the 50th Earth Day. I had already recorded my part for the Earth Day Live webcast, interviewing the great indigenous activists Joy Brown and Tara Huska about their pipeline battles. And then the news arrived at Oxford University, the most prestigious educational institution on planet Earth, had decided to divest from fossil fuels. So, you know, we'll talk about divestment. Divestment is good, except when it's not, because the movie portrays how these big institutions, many of them are divesting from fossil fuels, but they're investing in something almost as bad. They're investing in big banks. They're investing in biomass and biofuels. They're investing in big institutions like McDonald's. And divestment is a good thing, but divestment should just be part of a conversation. It's not a be-all and end-all because, you know, but that's one of the things that the movie addresses. When people, when institutions divest, are, is that the end of the story? But McKibben says this divestment was one of the great victories in that grinding eight-year campaign, which has become, by some measures, the biggest anti-corporate fight in history. And then, Bill McKibben says, I wrote a quick email to Naomi Klein, who helped me cook it up so that we could gloat together just a bit. I was, it must be said, feeling pleased with myself. Ah, but pride goeth before a fall. In the next couple of hours came a very different piece of news. People started writing to tell me that the filmmaker Michael Moore had just released a movie called Planet of the Humans on YouTube. That wasn't entirely out of the blue. I'd been hearing rumors of the film and its attacks on me since the summer before, and I'd taken them seriously. He says, various colleagues and I had written to point out that they were wrong. Naomi had, in fact, taken Moore aside in an NBC green room and restated what she had already laid out to him in writing. But none of that had apparently worked. Indeed, from what people were now writing to tell me, I was the main foil of the film. I put together a quick response, and I hoped that it would blow over. But it didn't perhaps because everyone's at home with not much to do. Lots of people watched it, millions by some counts, and I began to hear from them. Here's an email that arrived first thing Earth Day morning. Happy, so here's an email from a hostile, from a person who is being hostile to Bill McKibben. And Bill is using this hostile email to illustrate how he is being attacked. So this hostile email says, Happy Dead Earth Day. Time's up, Bill. You have been outed for fraud. What a massive disappointment you are. Sellout. Hypocrite beyond imagination. Biomass BS seller. Forest destroyer. How is it possible you have led all of us down the same death trap road of false hope? The youth, how dare you? Shame on you. 
So I want you to note that we are four paragraphs into this article by Bill McKibben, and he has not yet addressed one substantive issue that the movie raises, and that is par for course. I've read articles by a fellow named Josh Fox, who is a leading, uh, a leading critic of the movie. I've read an article by Elizabeth May, who is a Green Party representative in Canada. And because they can't address the substance of the movie, they have to, you know, uh, resort to backhand tactics. So here's paragraph five, and McKibben is starting to get into the substance of the movie. He says, basically, Moore and his colleagues have made a film attacking renewable energy. That's the second time he used the word attack. The word attacked is charged with emotion. It's a word that you use when you don't want to address the substance of the film. I almost, a while ago, I almost said, I almost referred to people who have attacked the movie, but I chose not to. There are people who have criticized the movie. Because if you want a serious discussion, you will not go overboard with emotional language. So he says the film is attacking renewable energy as a sham and arguing that the environmental movement is just a tool of corporations trying to make money off green energy. Well, that is a blatant misrepresentation of what the movie says. Quoting from the movie, it says, One of the most dangerous things right now is the illusion that alternative technologies like wind and solar are somehow different from fossil fuels. And I agree with that. It's a statement that is a little bit imprecise, but I'm calling into question whether we should be using the term clean energy. And I'm calling into question whether we should be using the term renewable energy. And if you wonder why I think that, then I'm inviting you to watch the movie. The person who said that, uh, who was just quoted as Ozzy Zinner, one of the film's producers, and he appears in the movie being interviewed. And um, McKibben says that when visiting a solar facility, he insists, you use more fossil fuels to do this than you're getting benefit from it. You would have been better off just burning fossil fuels. And I submit to you that at times that's true. But it's not about black and white thinking. It's not about adopting uncritical thinking. In fact, that's just what I'm saying. We need critical thinking when it comes to solar energy. We need critical thinking when it comes to wind energy. When you install a solar panel, are you going to cut down trees to install, install a solar panel? And if you have to cut down trees to install, install a solar panel, is that justified? And it's the same thing with wind farms. The movie Planet of the Humans depicts a wind farm in Vermont where they remove the top of a mountain to, to install a wind farm. And the question is whether or not that's justified. It's not about black and white thinking either way. It's about critical thinking all along the way. So when Zinner says you would have been better off just burning fossil fuels, uh, McKibben responds in his article by saying, that's not true, not in the least. It takes uh, the time it takes for a solar panel to pay back the energy used to build it is well under four years. Well, I don't 
I don't doubt that that's true sometimes, but does that mean solar panels always pay off? And here's what happens. The, the mainstream environmentalists who want, us to, who want us to think uncritically about these issues, they will get you into a narrow discussion about carbon. And the narrow discussion says, as long as we're reducing our carbon, then we're doing a good deed. But carbon is not the only thing that matters. Reducing carbon is not the only thing we need to do to preserve life on Earth. So when you cut down trees to install solar panels, and the movie predicts, uh, pre uh, depicts that, there's this solar array in, it's the, it's the Ivanpah Solar Facility in California. But when you cut down trees to install solar panels, you can make calculations as to whether you're doing the right thing from the standpoint of carbon, but are you doing the right thing from the standpoint of wildlife habitat? And are you doing the right thing from the standpoint of clean water? Because when you cut down trees, especially if they're well-established trees, then you are eliminating habitat for birds, butterflies, bees, and other wildlife. And you're also doing a bad thing for water quality because trees are good for water quality. Plus, when you install that solar panel, that solar panel takes lithium, it takes aluminum, it takes silicon, it takes graphite, it takes cobalt, lots and lots of minerals that have to be mined from somewhere. So what is the total impact? What is the total ecological impact? Not just the carbon footprint. So McKibben goes on to say, since the solar panel lasts three decades, it means 90% of the power it produces is pollution-free, compared with 0% of the power from burning fossil fuels. Okay, I think that is a dramatic misrepresentation of what's really going on here. For one thing, are we going to hold constant for the amount of energy we use, or are we going to drastically and dramatically and radically reduce our energy? We could drastically and radically reduce our energy if we were willing, as I recommend, to eliminate whole industries that are not doing us any good. The top three, just for starters, are defense, Defense does not defend us. It only makes the world uh, much less safe. Uh, manufacturing new cars. Why are we manufacturing new cars? New cars, new cars, new cars. 17 million new cars a year in the United States. 65 million new cars per year worldwide. It doesn't matter how much solar energy, it doesn't matter how much of our electricity we get from solar power if we are still making 17 million, million cars a year in the United States and 65 million cars a year worldwide. 
because we buy those new cars. The manufacturing of those new cars takes a lot of energy and produces a lot of pollution. And so in, in Europe and America, we buy all these new cars. And then when they're used, there are whole industries that ship our used cars southward. American cars get shipped to Latin America. European cars get shipped to Africa. I submit to you that as long as we're making 65 million new cars per year worldwide, we will not win this fight for our climate. And we haven't even started to talk about how industrial civilization has gotten us in to the sixth great extinction. It doesn't matter how much we decarbonize, we are not going to win this game if we don't address the issues that are inherent in the sixth mass extinction, which means, for one thing, habitat. If we're removing a lot of habitat so as to maintain our energy uses, usage and maintain industrial civilization, we will not win this game. But industrial civilization, see, we can do this because industrial civilization does not serve the needs of the average person. Industrial civilization is a racket that serves the needs and interests of a very tiny few. Continuing to read from Bill McKibben's article, he says, it turns out that pretty much everything else about the movie was wrong. Okay, here's an hour and a half movie. You're saying everything about the movie is wrong. How could that possibly be true? And is that going to be believed by someone who actually watches the movie? And to be clear, it's not about a movie. It's about how people are reacting to it. It's not about a movie. It's about what the reaction to the movie reveals about its critics. Now, let's go to an article that is favorable to the movie. We've been reading Bill McKibben's article, which is critical of the movie. Let's uh, read part of an article that's favorable to the movie. And the, the title of the article is Green Billionaires Behind Professional Activist Network That Led to Suppression of Planet of the Humans. You know, one big subplot in all this is that the critics of the movie felt like they had to suppress the movie altogether, you know, as if censorship is the solution. But this article is written by Max Blumenthal at the Gray Zone. Gray Zone, G-R-A-Y-Z-O-N-E, is an excellent uh, website with great investigative journalists like Max Blumenthal, Aaron Matei, Ben Norton, Anya Pyrampil. Blumenthal writes, as director of the documentary Jeff Gibbs explained, when we focus on climate change only as the thing destroying the planet, and we demand a solution, we get used by the forces of capitalism. That's my point exactly. The, the people that want to sell you solar panels want you to narrowly focus on decarbonization and forget everything else. They want you to focus on the benefits of solar panels, but they don't want you to focus on the costs, and they don't want you to focus on alternatives. In other words, they don't want you to focus on an overall strategy. And I say, yes, we need some solar panels, and yes, we need some windmills, but those are medium priorities, not high priorities. If we take all the things we could possibly do to address climate change, 
solar panels and windmills and electric cars are in that mix of strategies, but they are not the highest priority in my view. To me, the highest priority of the thing are the things that we could do immediately and don't cost us anything. In fact, they would save us money. Automobiles cost the family budget on average $8,000 per year to own and operate and put gas in the tank. $8,000 a year. AAA says more like $9,000 or above, but I'm using a very conservative figure, $8,000 per year. That's a lot of money out of the family budget. We could end the manufacture of new cars immediately. We could go for years, if not decades, fixing the cars that we already have. Meanwhile, we could take that, uh, you know, we could take the money that we're putting into always widening the highways, 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 widening the highway. When are we going to widen another highway? When are we going to add another lane? Always adding highways, always adding lanes. But the people who are critiquing, who are criticizing Planet of the Humans, are saying little or nothing about how we need to eliminate entire industries that we don't need. Manufacture of cars, manufacture of new airplanes. We could go for decades without building another new airplane if our priority is to really save the climate and really save ourselves from the sixth mass extinction. We could eliminate defense or at least reduce defense by 90%. There's no reason for us to always be building more and more and more fighter jets, more and more and more Navy ships, more and more and more nuclear submarines, more and more and more missiles. There is no rational reason for these things. Therefore, I say we could eliminate these industries, eliminate these manufacturing processes immediately and it would not only not cost us anything, it would save us money immediately. And it would immediately start saving the climate. So let's see what Jeff Gibbs, the maker of the movie, has to say. Reading from Max Blumenthal's article, an article that's favorable to the movie. As director of the documentary, Jeff Gibbs explained, when we focus on climate change only as the thing destroying the planet, and we demand solutions, we get used by the forces of capitalism who want to continue to sell us the disastrous illusion that we can mine and smelt and industrialize our way out of this extinction event. Hear, hear. I couldn't agree more. And he says, and again, behind the scenes, much of what we're doing to save the planet is to burn bio of the planet as green energy. The Obama administration decided to categorize biomass as renewable energy. So what we're doing here, as per the Obama administration, we're chewing up forests, turning forests into wood chips, shipping the wood chips to Germany, and calling that renewable energy. And we're doing this in part because we're listening to capitalists who want to sell us something. But capitalists will not save the planet because capitalism by its very, by its very nature is just a free-for-all. But reading from Max Blumenthal's article, Planet of the Humans crossed another bright green line by taking aim at the self-proclaimed climate justice activists themselves. 
painting them as opportunists who had, made, who had been willingly co-opted by predatory capitalists. The filmmakers highlighted the role of family foundations like the Rockefeller Brothers Fund in cultivating a class of professional activists that tend toward greenwashing partnerships with Wall Street and the Democratic Party. Now, here's where this article by Max Blumenthal starts to talk about Bill McKibben. It says, Bill McKibben, the founder of 350.org and guru of climate justice activism, is seen throughout Planet of the Humans consorting with Wall Street executives and pushing fossil fuel divestment campaigns that enable powerful institutions to reshuffle their assets into plastics and mining while burnishing their image. In other words, while Bill McKibben is talking about divestment, what he's doing is facilitating the process whereby Wall Street executives are greenwashing their image with divestment campaigns, but when you divest from one thing, you have to invest in another thing. And Blumenthal is saying that when they're divesting from fossil fuels, but they're investing in plastics and mining. McKibben has even called for envi environmentalists to cooperate with the Pentagon, one of the world's worst polluters and greatest exporters of violence because, he says, when it speaks frankly, it has the potential to reach Americans who won't listen to scientists. So Bill McKibben is saying that we need to listen to the Pentagon. He also wrote an article saying, look, the Pentagon's emissions are only 2% of, of the worldwide thing, but you know, he's getting you to narrowly focus on emissions instead of looking at the entire life cycle of the product. You know, only focus on emissions and only focus on carbon. We're not going to talk about how the Pentagon destroyed all the forests of Vietnam with Agent Orange. We're only going to talk about the carbon footprint. Continuing to read from Blumenthal's article, perhaps the most provocative critique contained in Planet of the Humans was the portrayal of full-time climate warriors like McKibben as de facto lobbyists for green tech billionaires and Wall Street investors determined to get their hands on the whopping $50 trillion profit opportunity that a full transition to renewable technology represents. So what these people are doing is peddling the fantasy that we can transfer, we can transition to so-called renewable energy without any changes in anything, without any changes in the plutocracy, without any changes in the defense industry, without any fundamental changes in the automobile industry, without any fundamental changes in air travel, without any fundamental changes to the monopolies that run the entire economy, without any fundamental changes to agribusiness. So I've got about a minute left. Let me leave you with something to think about. So I'm not saying that Planet of the Humans is perfect, although I would say that I don't think there are any substantial misrepresentations of fact or science in the movie. That is not why it's being attacked. It's being attacked. Actually, I wish I knew. I wish I knew 
but it's being criticized because so-called clean energy is big business. So-called renewable energy is big business. Electric cars are big business. And big business is looking at the profit opportunity in this thing. And they want climate change to represent a, a crisis for which they have the solution. And the solution is to buy more stuff. Buy more solar panels, buy more windmills, buy more electric cars. But like Naomi Klein says, we're not going to shop our way out of this crisis. We have an opportunity to create a whole new world, but we're only going to get there if we choose to get informed and exercise our critical thinking skills. That's all for now. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen and we are on episode number 300. Today's topic is Planet of the Humans, part four. If you want the first three episodes of this series, please email me at info at theclimatereport.net. So Planet of the Humans is worthy of discussion, not primarily by the virtues of the movie itself. I think it's a fabulous movie. I think it's an excellent movie. But the, the people who are critiquing the movie, they want, us to think, they want us to think bad movie, bad movie. They don't want us to think about the issues that the movie raised. So, for example, the movie calls into question uh, the, the high-profile environmentalists and how they get their funding. It also calls into question the efficacy of solar power and wind power and electric vehicles. And, you know, I think solar power has its place for sure. Wind power has its place for sure. And electric vehicles have their place for sure. But what is really dangerous and disturbing is how so many people think if we could just switch to solar panel, to solar power, then everything would be fine. If we could just switch to wind power, then everything would be fine. If we could just trade in our internal combustion cars for electric vehicles, then everything would be fine. And that is anything but the case. In fact, the solar power, wind power, electric vehicles, in my view, if you're doing a triage, like triage is where you divide up your priorities into high priority, medium priority, and low priority. If you're doing a triage, to me, solar power, wind power, and electric vehicles go in the middle place, but not, they're not the highest priority. The highest priority is, are those things that we could do immediately, and not only do they not cost us anything, they will save us money. Things like reducing the defense industry by 90%, reducing the manufacture of new automobiles by 90%, and reducing the manufacture of new planes by 90%. Hey, how about we stop new pipelines? How about we end deforestation, especially on public lands, which the president could do at the stroke of a pen? How about if we end mining and fracking on public lands, 
which the president could do with the stroke of a pen. Those would be decisive steps in the right direction, and we could do these things if we decided to, without any substantial negative impact on any individuals, especially if we do what we need to do anyway, which is provide a universal basic income, Medicare for all, and strong collective bargaining rights. These are all things that have been advocated by, for example, Naomi Klein, because she recognizes that to get people on board, there has to be a just transition. There has to be a fair transition from where we are to where we want to go. We have an opportunity to take people out of their jobs working for the worst companies in the world, like fast food companies, agribusiness companies, mining companies, fossil fuel companies. We can take people out of those jobs and put them in low carbon jobs related to care and education, health care, child care, care of the elderly, care of the disabled. We could create those jobs immediately. But instead, what we're doing is we're indulging this illusion that we can go on with business as usual if we just put up solar panels, if we get our power from solar and wind, and if we shift our, change our cars to electric cars, then everything will be fine. But what we don't look at is the impact of electric cars. We don't look at the impact of solar panels. We don't look at the impact of windmills. We need to have critical thinking and we need to get all the facts out on the table. Not for the sake of making perfect decisions, but for the sake of making rational decisions. If we don't get all the facts out on the table, we will not be making rational decisions. And what we don't want to do is get 10 years down the road and find out that we've been listening to the wrong people, we've been trusting the wrong people, and we've been following the wrong people. But the critics of Planet of the Humans don't want us to have a rational discussion, and they don't want us to exercise our critical thinking skills. They only think that a healthy, robust critique of renewable energy can only be bad. So there's nothing I can do here to properly convey the power of the movie because it's a, it's a video format. But there is a scene at 36 minutes in the movie where they talk, uh, you know, it shows a series of pictures that demonstrate the incredible array of metals that are required, metals and other chemicals, industrial products, industrial processes, huge mining operations that are required to make so-called renewable energy. Those metals and other materials include silicon, graphite, nickel, cobalt, polymers, silver, rare earth metals, coal, steel, tin, cadmium, lead, chlorine, hydrofluoric acid, and petroleum. So I encourage you to watch the movie. There's no substitute for seeing the movie in order to understand what's going on. 
But here are some of the titles of the articles that have been critical of the movie. Let's just read through some of these titles and comments. It says, Planet of the Humans, a reheated mess of lazy old myths. Well, I didn't think it was lazy, and I don't think it's old. Another article is Michael Moore's environment film, A Slap in the Face on Earth Day. So we're, we're just going to get emotional and personal about this. We're not going to exercise our critical thinking skills. We're just going to get emotional and personal. Here's another title. It says, Six Reasons Why Planet of the Humans is a Disaster of Misinformation. Well, I saw the movie and I don't think it's a disaster of misinformation. Far from it. Here's another article, 10 Reasons Planet of the Humans Gets Everything Wrong on Climate. Everything. Not that it gets some things wrong, but everything wrong. When you see people using extreme language like this, you know they're not being rational and they could not be correct if they say that the movie gets everything wrong. A 90-minute movie gets everything wrong. I saw the movie and I thought it got nearly everything right. Maybe everything right. It says, uh, why, another article, Why Planet of the Humans is Crap. So this is highly unprofessional language. It's not the way you talk if you have a meaningful critique. Here's another article that says, Forget about Planet of the Humans. It's a film review. Forget about Planet of the Humans. In other words, don't even watch it. Here's another article that says, Michael Moore produced a film about climate change that's a gift to big oil. As if critiquing renewable energy and having a clear-eyed view of so-called renewable energy is a gift to big oil. That's what I call a, I'm trying to think of a way to describe this, but it's, it's black and white thinking. You're either with us or against us, or you're either with us or against us, like it's a team sport. If you're not for my team, you're for the other team. Another article is entitled, Planet of the Humans Comes This Close to Actually Getting the Real Problem, Then Goes Full Ecofascism. So the definition of ecofascism, according to these people, is that uh, you're, you, you, you raise the issue of population. Can we not have a rational, calm discussion about population? Bill McKibben wrote a book about population, the title of which is Maybe One. Maybe consider having one child. Bill McKibben wrote that book. So Bill McKibben is allowed to write a book about maybe having one child, but anything else that if you don't like a movie, if the movie raises the issue that maybe population is a problem, maybe we should have a rational discussion about population, then it's eco-fascism. Don't be ridiculous. Here's another article entitled, Meet the New Flack for Oil and Gas. In other words, if you critique renewable energy, so-called renewable energy, then you're for oil and gas. You're a shill for the oil and gas industry. Here's uh, Bill McKibben's article entitled, A Bomb in the Center of the Climate Movement. So because some people have the nerve to critique solar power and wind power, it's a bomb in the center of the climate movement. In other words, if you critique renewable energy, you are dividing the climate movement. 
you know, I keep using the word renewable energy. I want to get out of that habit because I just don't think, I think it's, you know, we should move forward with solar power and wind power, but it is not a panacea. And in my view, it is not, wind power is not categorically clean and solar power is not categorically clean and electric cars are not categorically clean. I think it's a misleading term like natural gas. Another article is entitled Michael Moore's Planet of the Humans film Trashes Clean Energy Offers Zero Solutions. Well, I think it does. For one thing, if you, if you successfully identify a problem, that is a service in and of itself. You don't have to give a full solution. You just have to ring the alarm. Awareness of a problem is half the solution. If the movie had gone too far into the potential solutions, then it would have been too ambitious. But if the movie exposes corruption, that's a service in and of itself. And if the movie uh, exposes mythology, that is a service in and of itself. Here's another title. It says, Michael Moore's new film turns heroes into villains and villains into heroes. Like it's a, some kind of fairy tale. Like everybody is either a hero or a villain. We're not going to exercise our critical thinking skills. We're just going to say everybody is either a good guy or a bad guy. Everybody is black or white. Black and white thinking. Here's the last in this list of articles. If you care about climate action, don't watch Planet of the Humans. Don't watch it. You can't, you can't handle the truth. Like people can't handle the truth about the Ivanpah solar facility. People can't handle the truth about biomass operations. People can't handle the truth about uh, a wind farm that is the occasion for mountaintop removal. Here's another article. Skepticism is healthy, but Planet of the Humans is toxic. Well, I saw the movie. I don't think it's toxic. And I do think it has inspired healthy skepticism about clean energy, healthy skepticism about so-called renewable energy, so-called clean energy. So let's go to the article by Max Blumenthal. Max Blumenthal is a top-notch investigative journalist. His website is The Gray Zone. The Gray Zone is also a place, uh, I mean, The Gray Zone includes investigative journalists for whom I have a great deal of respect, including Ben Norton, Aaron Matei, and Anya Parampil. So the, let's uh, see what uh, it says about wind says the negative impact of massive wind farms on the environment and marginalized communities, an issue highlighted in Planet of the Humans, is also a serious concern, especially in the global south. Anthropologist and renewable destruction, it's an author, 
Author, the author is Alexander Dunlap. He wrote a report called Renewing Destruction, Wind Energy Development, Conflict and Resistance in a Latin American Context. It's a peer-reviewed study from 2017, and it's a study of wind farms in the indigenous, see if I can pronounce this, Tehuantepec region of Oaxaca, Mexico which has been marketed as one of the most ideal wind generation sites in the world. Dunlap found that the supposedly renewable projects largely reinforced income inequality, furthered poverty entrenchment, and increased food vulnerability and worker dependency on the construction of more wind parks, which cumulatively has led to an increase in work-related out-migration and environmental degradation. In other words, wind farms aren't categorically positive. He says, when wind turbines reach the end of their life cycle, their fiberglass blades, which can be as long as a football field, are impossible to recycle. As a result, they are piling up in rural dumping sites across the U.S. Meanwhile, the environmentalist magazine Grist warned this August of a solar e-waste glut that will produce megatons of toxic trash when solar panels begin to lose efficiency and die. So, yeah, I've read Biden's climate plan, and there's all of this stuff about technological solutions, all of this stuff about we're going to create new industries, and we're just going to do lots and lots of stuff, and there's going to be, un, we're going to uh, tap into unmatched American innovation. And I'm saying, can we talk about e-waste? Can we talk about electronic waste? We could be recycling 100% of electronic waste, but that would, would require something called extended producer responsibility. That would require that the producers who produce something are responsible for paying you to give it back to them. Like maybe the, you know, a used iPhone, you can return it to the maker for 10% of the original price, maybe 25% of the original price. You don't want the deposit fee to be too high because that might encourage theft. But on a product-by-product product basis, on an industry-by-industry industry basis, we need to be talking about what percent of the purchase price of that item should be reserved as a deposit so that you can return uh, the item to the maker and get some of your money back. That's how we could reduce our appetite for mining. We need to reduce our appetite for mining. We need to not be constantly digging more and more materials out of the earth when those materials are going to our landfills as it is. And you can have, you have, you always have some people that are conscientious enough to try to recycle on a voluntary basis. But most recycling is not recycled. Most of it is downcycling. You put a bunch of crap together in a recycle bin 
and somebody or something has to sort the crap back out. It's an energy intensive process. It's a carbon intensive process. It needs to be done, but it needs to be done better. And the only way it's going to be done better is if those who produce the materials and products are liable for buying them back from us. And people who are not talking about extended producer responsibility are not serious about saving the climate or saving the biosphere. We, we, not, we have a problem not only with climate change, but with the sixth mass extinction. Species are dying at a rate of about 100 or 150 times the normal rate. Some estimates are as many as a thousand times the normal rate. It's hard to calculate, but it is a, a, a massive and rapid die-off that scientists are calling the sixth great extinction. Nothing bigger than a squirrel survives a great extinction. You and I will not survive a great extinction. Our children will not survive a great extinction. And people who are not serious about solving these problems are those who want to sell us solar panels, sell us wind turbines, sell us electric cars, but don't want to address the problem of mining, 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 and waste, 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 waste. And that's what Planet of the Humans really draws to your attention. And that's what has Wall Street scared. And Planet of the Humans has come under heavy criticism because Wall Street is scared of the message. You and I should embrace the message because all of the industry that we see around us does not help you and me, especially when you look at the costs and the benefit. You look at the, not only the benefits of something, but you look at the costs and you look at the alternatives. If we looked at the costs and the alternatives of all this technology and all this mining and all this, you know, trans, global transportation, then we would say, hey, Maybe we can do this a little differently and maybe we should think about this critically and maybe there's a better way. Continuing to read in Max Blumenthal's article, he refers to a bill in the New York uh, State Legislature which calls for the state to run 70% of its publicly generated energy off of, a renew off of renewable energy systems by 2030. But he says that type of project does not adequately compensate the places where these you know, minerals will be extracted. He says, already devastated by coups and neo-colonial exploitation, swaths of the global south, from Bolivia to Congo, home to massive reserves of cobalt, hand-mined in slave conditions for electric car batteries and iPhones, are being further destabilized by a minerals rush. So we already get a lot of our minerals from slave labor and from mining operations that are driving indigenous peoples off of their lands. So he says even mainstream environmentalists acknowledge that rising reliance on renewable energy means a lot of dirty mining 
to extract the minerals required for electric batteries and solar cells. This prospect has sparked excitement within the mining industry. So note carefully, the mining industry is excited by this. The mining industry says more and more renewables and you know, mining is terrible. I'm not saying we should do zero mining. I'm saying we should count the cost of mining and we should exercise our critical thinking skills before we rush headlong into a process that multiplies the amount of minerals we need to extract from mines. Electric cars will multiply the amount of minerals we need to extract from mines. Can we talk? So it says the prospect of all this additional mining has sparked excitement within the mining industry with the editor of Mining.com, Frick Ells, dubbing Green New Deal spokeswoman Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Greta Thunberg as mining's unlikely heroines. So, uh, you know, when it comes to AOC and Greta Thunberg, Mining.com says, bring it on, baby. So Ells says, going all in on the green economy and decarbonization requires siding with the greens against fossil fuels. So it's mining and so-called renewable energy against fossil fuels. In other words, those of us who are giving lip service to clean and renewable energy have to be in bed with the mining industry. Or we can think about this critically. But it says here, the inevitable rush on minerals required to power the Green Revolution has not exactly delighted residents of the global south, that is, the poor countries of the world. Evo Morales, the indigenous former president of Bolivia, was driven from power in 2019 by a military junta backed by the United States and local oligarchs in what he branded a lithium coup. In other words, the United States is at it again, just like it does every day, all day. You know, the United States is overthrowing uh, democratic governments for, before breakfast. So it says, and one of those, you know, democratically elected governments that it overthrew was in 2019, the government of Bolivia. Thankfully, they got their democracy back from the oligarchs. But it says here, with the world's largest untapped lithium resources, Bolivia is estimated to hold as much as half the world's reserves. Under Morales, the country guaranteed that only state-owned firms could mine the material. Guess who doesn't like that? American corporations don't like it when they have to deal with state-owned firms in countries that have a democracy. So the ousted leader, that is Evo Morales, argued that multinational corporations, i.e. Tesla, supported his right-wing domestic opponents in order to get their hands on Bolivia's lithium, an essential element in the electric batteries that provide the cornerstone to a digital economy dependent on smartphones, laptops, and electric vehicles. As a small country of 10 million inhabitants, we were soon going to set the price of lithium, Morales said. You know, imagine that, a country being able to decide how much they get to sell their resources for. Tesla and Elon Musk don't like it when little Bolivia gets to set 
the price of lithium because that cuts into his profits. There's so much more that we could say about this, but in, uh, in this, it says this July, Tesla CEO and electric battery kingpin Elon Musk appeared to take partial credit for the 2019 military coup that forced Bolivia's Evo Morales from power, asserting that big tech billionaires like him could, quote, coup whoever we want. So somebody on Twitter says, you know, that wasn't in the best interest of the people. Uh, the U.S. government organizing a coup against Evo Morales in Bolivia so you could obtain the lithium there. And, and uh, Elon Musk replies, we will coup whoever we want. Deal with it. In other words, <laughs> we don't care about democracy in Bolivia. We don't care about the people of Bolivia getting a fair return on their natural resources. We will coup whoever we want. And that says it all. This is not being taken out of context. Elon Musk just became the richest man in the world. And if you want to become the richest man in the world, it helps to you know, destroy democracies at home and abroad. And it helps when you can set the price of lithium so that the people of Bolivia don't get a chance to set the price of lithium. So I've got about a minute left. Let me leave you with something to think about. So what businesses, what big business doesn't want us to be able to see is the hidden cost of their operations, nor do they want us to see the alternatives to their plans. We need to be able to look at Tesla and look, we need to be able to look at electric cars and solar panels and windmills, and we need to see the true cost, including the hidden cost, and we need to be able to make rational decisions based on full information, and we need to not neglect justice in the process. We need to not neglect democracy in the process, and we not need to not neglect clean air, clean water, and wildlife habitat in the process. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Have a nice day.